Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Inside the Asperger Studios Presents Stories. On today's episode, I'm talking with Frank King, comedian, suicide prevention speaker, and ho- and writer for The Tonight Show. That's right. He wrote for Jay Leno. He was one of the comedic writers that helped Jay Leno with his monologues. He tells us how he got into that. He talks about how Leno was a great boss. He talks how he got into suicide prevention speaking. And we have some great laughs along the way. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage. I'm sure it's going to be one hell of a show, and I'll catch you on the other side. See you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside the Asperger Studio. Today on the show, I'm joined with Frank Com- Frank King, comedian, suicide <laughs> suicide prevention chatter, and docker, and writer. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So, Frank, why don't you tell us a little about yourself before we get into everything? All righty. I started comedy in fourth grade, told a joke. Everybody laughed. Teacher was hysterical. I thought, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. 12th grade, they had a talent show. Nobody had ever done stand-up before. It's spring of 75. I did stand-up. I won. Told my mama, I'm going to be a comedian. She says, son, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care, but you are going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So I went to Carolina. You went to Chapel Hill. Got a couple of degrees, actually. And then moved to San Diego to go to work for my wife's, my father-in-law's insurance company. Just so happened... San Diego has a branch of the comedy store. Still does. Same location after all these years. And that was the beginning of the end of my insurance career and my first marriage because my first wife married an insurance guy and got a comedian, a matrimonial bait and switch. So I don't blame her for pulling the plug on it. And she's a wonderful woman. We just had no business being together. Which, by the way, is how I got into comedy. My third TEDx talk of six, (laughs) he said bragging, is suicide the secret of my success. I'm married to the wrong woman. I'm working in the wrong business. I'm not doing comedy. And I realize I'm going to kill myself if something doesn't change. My second thought was, wait a minute. I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. (laughs) That's how I got into comedy. All right. Where did you grow up? (laughs) Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, what was it like growing up for you? I mean, you said you were a comedian in school. I mean, you have to remember your first joke. Uh, yeah, it was in fourth grade. I was, um, it was a, as an ad lib, actually. I was supposed to be wearing glasses because my entire family is, is really nearsighted. I couldn't see the board. I wrote a joke about our family. I think we're descended from the people of an island called Myopia, which is short-sighted or nearsighted uh myopia was conquered over and over because he never saw the enemy coming so the teacher knows i'm supposed to be wearing my glasses because i can't see the board but i'm I'm vain and back then there were no fashion frames just black plastic sort of buddy holly you know remember those days and so she got me to the front of the room turned me away from the other kids figuring look let's pull the band-aid off but she's gonna put her my glasses on me turn me around the class let everybody see me at one time Let's get this out. And then, so she does. She turns me back to class with my glasses on. She looks down at me. She says, see, you look intelligent. I looked up at her and ad-libbed. Yes, that would explain all the laughter. And she had to excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge. She was laughing so hard. That's when I decided 
I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> that kind of reminds me. I read a story somewhere about entitlement and stuff, and this guy was at a store with his four-year-old daughter, and this woman was be was like berating this cashier, and this guy stepped in, and the woman turns around and starts berating him. And then the little daughter says, you shouldn't talk to my daddy that way. And the girl goes, well, you shouldn't, you should mind your own business. What is your problem? She's like, well, I'm four. What's your issue? Oh, nice. So the guy says, so in the story, the guy says, that's it. I'm taking my daughter with me everywhere I go now. Oh, yeah. What a great sidekick. Anyways, what motivates you, inspires you, and drives you? Saving lives. That's good. I have two conditions. One's called major depressive disorder. The other's called chronic suicidal ideation, which means for me and people in my tribe, suicide is always an option on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And the story I tell is that my car broke down three years ago and I had three thoughts unbidden, get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. That's in my keynote. And every time I've spoken, except once in the last seven years, there's been somebody in the audience who has that. Mm-hmm. Condition has no idea, it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak and all alone. And I had a young woman come up at a college show. She goes, Thank you for your keynote. She said, You're welcome. She goes, But God tell you, it made me weep. How did it make you weep? She goes, You know your story about the car, get it fixed, buy a new one, kill yourself. I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know it had a name. I just thought I was some kind of freak and all alone. And when I heard you say that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not alone. And I wept. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It reminds me of my friend, like I was telling you before we started recording, he's got MDD. And it turns out that what he has, he's got the version that medicine doesn't help. What's MDD? He's got, uh, it's severe um, depression. Oh, where he can't get out of it. And any medicine they've given him does not work. I'm like, well, have you tried ketamine? He's like, not yet. I'm like, what's keeping you so long? Should also do the uh, DNA cheek swab test for psychotropics. Yeah. They take your DNA and they they, they try to find a, an antidepressant that will work best with your metabolism. So it cuts down a lot of the lab rat, go on, taper off, go on, taper off. A couple hundred bucks to a thousand dollars, depending on your insurance company. So that's what I would have done if my antidepressant didn't work the first one they gave me. I would have gone in and got the DNA cheek swab suit. You know, can't we dial this in somehow? Anyway, what's the best compliment that you have ever gotten? Uh, the best compliments, Jonathan Winters. I was at the Improv in LA. It was supposed to be a clean show, and I kept my, I was emceeing, and I got to do time up front. I did my set to crickets. Mm-hmm. And because they had a show right before hours, and everybody had been dirty. So it's very difficult to follow dirty comedy with clean comedy. So I struggled all night long with my little clean comedy. And as I was standing at the door, as the crowd was filing out, Jonathan Winters stopped and said, I thought you were funny. <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah, that's good. I mean, especially coming from someone big like him. Yeah, the other one is I worked the cruise ships for a lot of years. And oftentimes on the cruise ship, if the comedian's American, the Europeans and folks from other countries tend not to go to the show. Interesting. Yeah, because in, because most comics, the stuff they do is prototypically American. You know, it's very much things 
sometimes cultural references, these people have no idea. So I start off by saying, look, I know we have people here from around the world. I'll do my best to make it not quite so American. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to mention something American, I will, I will define it so that you'll know what I'm talking about. So to have somebody from another country where English is not their first language, come up and say how much they thoroughly enjoyed the show. I wow. feel like I've done something, kept it general enough. Yeah. All right. What is your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? I, uh, it was in 2010, right before I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. We were, we were overextended at the beginning of the last recession. A lot of negative cash flow from rental properties, just bought a big farm. House payment was $2,300 a month, something crazy like that. Um, and I just wasn't ready. I just was not ready for the recession. And yeah, and I should have known. I'm a political science major. I should have known that. <laughs> A Democratic president followed by a Republican president, but the, the economy is going to crash. And then the other, the next Democratic president comes along, and tries to clean it up. So now I know the cycle. So this time, you know, after Donald uh, left the White House, I was ready because you know COVID crashed, uh, didn't crash the economy, but caused another recession and worldwide. And so it's uh, I was far more prepared. But yeah, that's my biggest failure was that Chapter Seven bankruptcy. All right, and what did you learn from that? <laughs> You need to live small. Mm, I also learned what you, the difference between what you want and what you need. We were left with a little house we're living in now, my wife grew up in, uh, a couple of cars, clothes on our back and our pets. That was it. And, you know, we survived. That's all you really need. You know, food, a roof, a vehicle. So it was a great, it was a great lesson. All right. Tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. My mom. People often ask, well, or I, I recommend if somebody's suicidal, but they don't have a plan that's really well formed, you know, time, place, method. I say, well, say this to them. Are you going to kill yourself? If they say no, say, all right, tell me why not? Make them give voice to whatever's keeping them here. One of the things keeping me here is my mom. She and my dad got married. It was right after the Second World War, I think. Desperately wanted children. Um, they were both gay. My mom was gay. My dad was gay. Wow. They were crazy about Yeah, crazy about one another. And they both wanted a family. And they tried to adopt, but there weren't many infants available. So my mom decided, well, we'll do it the old-fashioned way. So she got pregnant, carried it, carried it nine months to term, and died shortly after birth. So she waited a year, and she thought, I'll try again. So she tried again. She got pregnant. She carried it nine months, died shortly after birth. Somehow, a year later, she found the courage to try again, third time, and a fourth time with my sister. And I have no idea where she found the courage to try a third time and a fourth. But I feel like that she worked so hard and was so brave bringing me here that I have to be as brave and work at least as hard to stick around to my appointed time. So my mom would be uh, number one on that list. My dad died at 40. I didn't, I was eight years old. I had, you know, I, I barely, barely knew him. Apparently Bauer reports a great guy, but I never, I never, um, see who else. My lovely wife, because I've, 
over the over the 35 years of doing stand up and speaking full time, there have been some really lean times. And I said, I'm going to go back to selling insurance. She says, you are not. You are going to follow your gift. So she believed in me at times when I didn't believe in myself. <laughs> so that'd be number two. And number three. Best boss I ever had. Phil Zachary. He hired me to do a morning show in Raleigh, North Carolina in 93 around Easter. Mm-hmm. And I lasted 18 months and he fired me. <laughs> but a marketing genius. I learned a ton from him uh, about marketing. So I would say, yeah, you know, there's leaders and there's managers. And he's one of the few leaders for whom I have worked. All right. What makes you feel inspired or your best uh, or like your best self? Well, when somebody comes up after the show and, and, and is crying, I did a dental convention and a woman came up after the show and she was crying so hard she couldn't speak. And I said to her, you have chronic suicidal ideation. And she nods. And I said, you didn't know it had a name, nod. You just thought you were some kind of freak, nod. <laughs> Do you have a therapist back home? Nod. Well, set an appointment, tell them what you learned. And for God's sakes, tell them you Googled it. Don't tell them you learned it from a comedian. <laughs> and a week later, I got an email. Frank, I think I was at that dental conference simply to meet you. You changed my life. And I can't say that about a lot of people. Wow. Yep. Finish this sentence. I am at my best when? I'm on stage speaking about suicide prevention. All right. If you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you tell them about where you are now? By Google <laughs> and, and Nike. <laughs> I would tell them, oh, look, you're going to marry very poorly the first time. You're going to get into an industry where you don't belong. You're going to feel like you're walking around somebody else's life. However, when it comes to meeting your second wife, it was, it, I mean, it, 10 seconds one way or the other that evening and you two would not have met. So you're going to go through all that bad marriage, bad job to get to the point that evening where you meet your second watch. Mm-hmm. It's all worth it. All right. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would you put on it and why? Uh, take the vaccine or don't bother coming to the hospital. <laughs> Very yeah, if you don't, have, you know, if I ran a hospital and you, you present with COVID and you haven't taken the vaccine, I'm sorry. We need the beds for people, you know, who've taken the vaccine and have COVID, who have heart attacks, strokes. That is just selfish. Well, it's my freedom. Hey, listen, freedom comes with responsibility. You're free not to take it, but you're going to be responsible for your own treatment. I mean, tell me about it. I mean, I read somewhere in the news that, or on, on, it was Twitter, I think, someone posted that saying, we're the worst country in the world. All of Europe is doing their best to avoid this virus by wearing masks and taking their shots where we're the only country where we have ignorant people here refusing to get the shot and refusing to wear the mask. This is why we're the worst country in the world. Well, worse in terms of, I think, um, infection rates at this point, and I don't know if deaths as well or hospitalization, but I do believe we're pretty much in the top four or five infection wise. And we know, and, and there are countries in the world where only 1% of the population been vaccinated. So, I mean, I mean, I didn't realize there were that many gullible people in the United States. So the last election, I mean, we, if you look at things, I mean, 
my our mayor isn't the worst in the world. I mean, we have Lollapalooza with over 100,000 people. I mean, half these kids are going to spread the virus to other states and that num- their numbers are going to go up. Same thing with um, the big motorcycle rally in South Dakota. Is yep. it uh, another 100,000 people? All right. Um, what do you think the world would look like in five years? I think it should be gone. Uh, climate change, too late to do anything about it. I, I think um, the our republic is doomed. Um, if Trump had been smarter or better politician, he would have been president again. Uh, if he selected better people, the best people, he'd be president again. I think I think the Republicans are going to take down the you know, they, we're going to end up with a fascist regime and the republic is done. Uh, the only good news is I probably won't live to see it. <laughs> what was your favorite said? What was your favorite subject in school? Oh, good question. Uh, not math, certainly. History, I think. All right. Big student. Of- I'm guessing you'd call yourself an extrovert. I'm an, like a lot of comics, I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, depending on how you want to define it. I'm extroverted on stage. Um, otherwise, relatively introverted, but not not to the point as many comedians are where they just won't make eye contact. I'm, I'm a jolly, you know, person uh, on the ship, for example. Before I do my show, nobody knows who I am, which is you have anonymity. And then once I do my show, everybody knows who I am. And so once that happens and I come out of my shell and I sit down with them for lunch or dinner, you know, hang out with them. But yeah, I'm 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 far more extroverted on stage. Although one of the best comp- one of the other best compliments I ever got was guy saw my show and he saw me in the, in the Lido buffet and he goes, man, this is amazing. You are exactly the same person on stage as off. I said to him, you know how long it took me to get to that point? <laughs> it takes a lot of work to be yourself. Yes. <clears throat> you know, where you're not putting on a comedy act. It's just me. Well, and the reason that happened was I'd been fired from three other cruise lines, not because I got drunk or anything, this personality complex and with a cruise director. And I had one, one line left, one cruise line left. And I said to my wife, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I've been fired when I had good shows. I've been fired when I had bad shows. I'm not going to put any emotional energy into trying to trying to put on a great show. I'm just going to go up there and have fun. And my show's got 25% better. Cause I, you know, and the guy came up after the show, only the two of us in the audience. And he goes, man, I got to know, how do you get that comfortable up there? And I said, do you really want to know? Can I use a bad word, by the way? Yeah. He said, okay, Reed. Um, he go, I said, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. He goes, because I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just had, and my shows got better. They had a better time. I had a better time. I wasn't pushing. They weren't worried. You know what I mean? All right. If you could be, be remembered, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Uh, there were friends, and then there was Frank. All right. Now, why don't you give us a little bit more of your story of how you got to where you are today? So I did comedy and clubs for two thousand six hundred twenty-nine nights in a row, nonstop, with my second wife, who just came along with the ride. And I did radio, as I mentioned. And as with most people in radio, I got fired. And then the club circuit was winding down. So I jumped to the corporate comedy circuit after dinner and after lunch at conferences. 
and I rode that till 2007, early eight. And then the speaking market crashed and burned 80% gone overnight in the recession. And so that's when I came close to killing myself for the insurance money. So my wife could have a million dollars. And when we came out of that recession, the meeting planner said to me, Frank, we love you. But we can't pay you that kind of money anymore. Just to be funny. You got to teach us something. Couldn't figure out what I had to teach anybody. And then I remembered my family, everybody's mentally ill, more nuts in my family than a squirrel turd. <laughs> and I came close enough to kill myself. Again, I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. For the listeners or the watchers, viewers, spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. And I realized if I got some training in suicide prevention, I could use my story, my family story, and then teach people about suicide prevention. And, but I've been a comic all that time. How do you rebrand? Well, you do a TED talk. So I applied for a TED talk. I got the first one. I got spoiled. I got the first one I ever applied for. And I came out on stage at age 52 as depressed and suicidal. Nobody knew. My wife, my family, my friends, nobody had any idea how bad I was when I was bad, you know, in terms of mental illness. And it was a suicide prevention keynote. And it proved to all the meeting planners and speakers and bureaus, yeah, apparently Frank could do something serious. And what I didn't know at the time was two things. One, even though one person dies by suicide every nine minutes in the U.S., nobody talks about it. And two, men don't generally speak in public out loud about their emotional issues. You know, men are pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Big boys don't cry, which may be why eight out of 10 suicides in the U.S. right now are men. Uh, so it's that that. And I decided January 1st, 2018, even though I had a motivational speech, uh, you know, some other speeches, I'm just going to speak on suicide prevention, pick a lane, that's it, and become that guy. And that's what I did. I mean, somebody asked me to do comedy, fine, but I'm not marketing anything but suicide prevention. Great story. Now we come to the show that everyone wants to hear, the questionnaire. What is your favorite word? Fuck. What is your least favorite? I'm a comic, man. Come on. It's such a great word. What is your least favorite word? Like. What turns you? I'm like, she's like, we're like, we're all like. I have a friend who did 10 minute routine and I counted the likes. She's 32. I counted the likes in a 10 minute routine. There were 79. Yeah, actually, in the letter T, that's important. You know what's important? The other T and important. It's, 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 run rampant through, I mean, it's, it's kitten and mitten and Clinton and important. Oh God. My mom was an English teacher, so I can't not hear it. Drives me crazy. What turned you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? Creativity. Well, you know, I believe that my depression and middle and um, suicidal ideation is simply the flip side of my creativity, imagination, comic ability. Um, so it's the in, it's just the day in, day out input. I can teach you to write stand up. I can teach you to perform stand up. I cannot teach you to process the way my brain works. Mm -hmm. and, and I realized I described one of my daydreams to a friend of mine in living color with blocking and lighting and, and uh, dialogue and sound bites. <laughs> I got done. He goes, man, I got to get better daydreams. Um, yeah, it's just the way my brain, I guess, just the way my brain works. I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a creativity knob in my brain and somebody broke it off right. and I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off now. What turns you off? 
Um, people who don't take vaccines. What is your favorite cuss <laughs> word? And we all know this one. Oh, favorite cuss word? Yeah. Um, I was in the, the um, physical therapist's office one time because my shoulder was bothering me. He gave me a shot of cortisone. And when he did it, after he got done, he goes, you're from North Carolina, aren't you? Now, bear in mind, I was in a great deal of pain when he stuck me with a needle. So how do you know I'm from North Carolina? He goes, when I stuck you with the needle, you went, fuck. That's, <laughs> that's how they say it in North Carolina. He'd gone to Carolina, Chapel Hill. <laughs> I go, man, you nailed it. I didn't realize I was that Southern. That law, the, the vowel was that long. But uh, All right. What sounder noise do you love? Uh, oh, the sound of my mechanical valve clicking. What's the mechanical heartbeat? What sound or noise do you hate? When that stops. What's your favorite color? Purple. What's your least favorite color? There's a blue that the several of the car companies use, the Toyota CJ something, they use it. It's just when I was a kid, guy across the street and I built a boat, painted it this blue color, and it was it was a oil-based paint. And it got into my nose, and I just for days that's all I could smell. And just just looking at a car that color makes me nauseous. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, in 2009, I applied with 12 different police departments to become a police officer. It's on my bucket list. And I, I, I came, I was on the hiring list with Seattle PD. That's how far I got at age 52. I was the oldest person ever to pass a physical fitness test. And so if I, I'd be a cop, if I couldn't do that, there's a show on TV called lie to me. And the guy can tell when you're lying by micro expressions and so yeah, forth. I, I would that. go back to college and I would, you know, and there's no one called the mentalist, which is a similar because I'm telling because I have a natural ability. One of my clients I'm talking to the other day, she'd been divorced, had a really hard time. She even cried a couple of times during our sessions. We tuned in last week and I'm looking at her and thinking something's different. So I said to her, you have a young man in your life. And she goes, how would you know that? I, said, I don't know. Something about your aspect. She goes, yeah, I, I bumped into a kid I went to, to high school with. We wouldn't, we never did it in high school because we were completely different. But you know what? We're exchanging emails. I said something about, you know, this told me that call it, uh, mentalists call it a cold read. You look at it, you think, what's going on? Go with your intuition. I do it all the time. I guess where people are from and it frightens them. You're from Chicago. Yeah, I was born there, but I moved away 40 years ago. How can you know? Accents. <laughs> Accents. Yeah. Again, a cold read. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, Lord. Insurance. The one I had before. Right. It's a great business. Just not for me. All right. If heaven exists, and we both probably know it does, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, I don't think it exists. So I, I anticipate what I'm going to hear is um, St. Peter talking to God and God going, Frank, who? <laughs> when you arrive in heaven, who would you like to meet? Uh, I like to spend a little more time with my dad because I never knew him as an adult. You know, I'd like to, I mean, I knew him as a child, but it, but it, by all reports, he was a great guy. And I would like to know him as an adult. And lastly, what books would you recommend to my audience? Well, that depends. Uh, since I'm a speaker, if you want to be a speaker, Judy Carter 
wrote a book called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. Does it get any more specific than that? And that's how I went from funny speaker to speaker who was funny. I read her book. And if you want to be a comedian, Judy Carter wrote a book called The Comedy Bible. Make sure you get the one that was published, the second edition, I think, last October. It's uh, just almost fill in the blank. You know, use your life to create a comedy routine if you want to do stand-up comedy. Those, those are the two I, I recommend all the time. And lastly, how would, we, how would people get a hold of you? Oh, um, you can go to thementalhealthcomedian.com, thementalhealthcomedian.com, or just type in mental health comedian. You'll find my Facebook, Instagram. That's my brand. So I'm all over the Internet with that brand. And that's it. Frank King, suicide prevention talker, comedian, writer, and one hell of a funny guy. Catch you. Oh, thank you very much. Catch you in the next one. Thank you for having See me. You Thanks for having Yeah. Thanks for being on the Come show, on, Frank. <laughs> My line. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Don't need no million to have a have a good time. All that you need is.